The people of the Bible, as good historic Baptists, we believe in a definite atonement. And that means that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment of the sins of his people. His sacrifice is definite. He atones for all the sins of his people. They're covered over. They're paid for. They are cast to the depths of the sea once and for all. And so thankfully, we don't live in a world with Hamlet's theology. Now, that doesn't mean we live like whatever we want to live like. But it means that we can have confidence in his grace and knowing that he has paid for our sins. You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. Today's message from Pastor Colt Hudson is part of our current sermon series through the Gospel of John. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. Well, amen. What a great time of worship here together today. Uh, We are so glad that, again, you're here with us and uh, looking forward to a great time in God's Word together this morning. If you will, go ahead and be turning in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 30. Again, that's John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. And as you're turning by way of introduction this morning, I wanted to tell you a funny story that I had read recently. Um, It was a story of a minister's gathering and Uh, At this gathering, one of the attendees was uh, speaking with Charles Spurgeon about a particular preacher. And the man goes up to Spurgeon and he says, This preacher that just preached, he has no more ministry gifting and communication abilities than an oyster. Spurgeon remarked, he says, That is a slander to the oyster. The oyster shows great discretion in his openings and he knows when to close. Today we are going to be hearing from a master communicator in Jesus Christ. Throughout the Gospel of John, we have seen clearly how Jesus communicates with just this masterful ability. And today we're going to see again three things that Jesus communicates, three powerful messages to the people in today's text. So let's turn to John chapter 8 verses 21 through 30. I'll be reading from the ESV, but you follow along in your translation. Verse 21, it says, So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, You will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer, and we'll continue on this morning. Father God, we come before you at this time, Lord, thankful. Lord, thankful for your grace and your mercy to us and giving us this opportunity to worship you this morning. Lord, thankful for our church body, Lord, the brothers and sisters who were gathered here together with this morning. Father, we thank you that you have a, a plan specifically for our life, and the Lord, that plan included us being here today, hearing this word, Lord, your word. 
And Father, we pray that today as we hear this word, that Lord, they would be your words rather than my own. You'd move me out of the way. Lord, use me as a mouthpiece to proclaim your message to your people. And Lord, as we hear this message, may we apply it to our hearts or to our lives. Father, may we be challenged, equipped, and encouraged today. Lord, give us conviction. Give us courage. And Father, help us to be faithful to this word. Father, we pray that your will would be done and that you would bless us, that we may glorify you in this time together today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are continuing our series through the Gospel of John. We're working through this Gospel. And uh, if you're a first-time visitor with us today or you've been here for a while... Um, this is something that we are, are seeking to do as a church, to work through the entire gospel of John together. And so uh, those of you who have been here, you have been working through it with us, uh, Sunday by Sunday, piece by piece. But for our visitors, hang in there with us, and I encourage you to go back and check out some of our previous sermons to get a little more context into what's happening here in this moment. But we are working through the Gospel of John, and as we arrive at today's passage, we're continuing a stretch of verses that are part of one encounter right after the Feast of Tabernacles. This is coming along after this feast. We saw many things happen. Remember, Jesus told them that he was living water. We saw where Jesus uh, told them that he is the light of the world. Uh, Both of these are related to the Feast of Tabernacles and the ceremonies that went on uh, during that time. We have seen so far that Jesus has dealt graciously uh, with the woman caught in adultery at the beginning of John chapter 8. We've seen that he has told him he's the light of the world. Last week we saw that he defended his witness uh, and he told them clearly who he was and then he ended by giving just a damning statement to those people. He says, you know neither me nor my father. And we talked about how this is, again, something that is so powerful. Our job is to know Christ and to make him known. We are to know him well, knowing him specifically as who he is and who he has told us he is. We saw that after he gave that statement, the people wanted to arrest him, but it was not yet his time. And so the Father's will was not that he would be arrested, And today we see that he responds once again, picking up right after that statement that his hour had not yet come. In this passage today, he's he's teaching powerfully. Jesus is doing what Jesus does. He's teaching with tremendous ability and capability. And really, he's doing it through dialogue. He's doing it through conversation. So what we're going to do today, the way we're going to approach this text, is to look at the three main things that Jesus tells the Pharisees and the people. Three things that he tells them, and uh, we'll begin with the first one, which is a warning to the dead in sin. We see this in verses 21 through 24. It is a warning to the dead in sin. We see here that Jesus tells them that he is going away. They will seek him, but will die in their Sin. Now he bookends this section by saying again in verse 24 that they would die in their sins. Now for us this morning as we're thinking about this, maybe that's not the most uh, exciting thing in the world for us to hear, but it is something that we should pay careful attention to. This is a warning. Jesus is laying out the future plan for them. He says, I am going away. Now Jesus here isn't talking about when he's going to walk to a different part of the country. He's not talking about going on vacation. Jesus is referring to going to the cross, dying for the sins of his people, being buried, resurrected, and then ascending to the right hand of God. He says, I am going. 
But what happens is that Jesus also tells them of the two destinies that there are for people. There are two destinies. There's the place that Jesus is going, and there's the place that those who die in sin go to. For those who die in sin, Jesus says, you cannot come. Now, this warning to the dead in sin is important. It's important for several reasons. First of all, it's a call for the people there that day to repent of those sins. Secondly, we see that also here in this, it is a direct warning for us not to die in our sins. To us to repent. And we see that this is also a universal warning that we should be warning others of as well. When we are blessed by having this warning from Christ, we should pass that warning on to others around us. Specifically because a warning to those people who are dead in sin is a warning to everyone unless they are saved by the grace of God. The Bible tells us that we are all dead in sin as a default. We're born that way. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Gone astray from the womb. Ephesians 2 tells us that we who, if we are believers, and uh, he tells us who we were if we're believers, and he tells you who you are if you have not believed in Christ. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says, You are dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The Bible tells us this is who all of us start as. And it's who you are if you have not believed in Christ. If we have believed in him and follow him, then by his great grace and by his great mercy, this is behind us because he made us alive by his great power. But what Jesus is talking about here is something that will happen to them in the future. Right? He's not only saying that they're currently spiritually dead in sin, but he's warning them about their future, physically dying in their sins. Jesus was telling them about the danger of physical death while they were still in sin. I want to take a moment to tell you what this is not. Historically, some people have falsely understood this. They've misunderstood this passage and thought that the danger Jesus was warning them about here was dying whilst in the middle of committing a sin. And that's not what's being talked about here. This is not a Hamlet situation. I'm going to test your literature knowledge this morning. If you remember Shakespeare, specifically the story of Hamlet, Hamlet has this opportunity to kill Claudius, the man who murdered his father. In this moment, Hamlet has this opportunity, but he wouldn't kill Claudius, again, the man who murdered his father, while Claudius was praying. You remember this? Maybe, maybe not. If not, just hang in there. (laughs) Hamlet won't kill Claudius because Claudius is praying. He misunderstood the atonement. They thought it didn't matter what a person did or didn't do, except what the person was doing when they died. So Hamlet in this moment, he wouldn't kill Claudius while he was praying because in that moment, Claudius was doing something spiritually good. And if he killed him while he's praying, he'd go to heaven. And Hamlet didn't want that. By the same token, likewise, Claudius had murdered Hamlet's father after a big feast. His belly was full and he was asleep. 
And after this wild party, Hamlet's father wouldn't have had time to repent. And so it was assumed that since Claudius killed him while he was sleeping off the party the night before, that he went to hell. This all comes from a bad understanding of the atonement. It ha- this, is, this is Shakespeare playing out what people believed. That you could go your whole life, you could be a good person, you, you could do all these things, you could even be a believer in Christ, and if you were doing something bad when you died, if you're in the middle of telling a lie, if you're in the middle of stealing and you die, you would go straight to hell. And by the same token, you could be a hellion all your life, you could be a murderer, as Claudius was. And then as long as you're praying when you die, you're good to go. That's a terrible understanding of what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus is saying here when he's talking about dying in sin. What Jesus is warning them specifically about here is dying with their sins unatoned for. Atoned means dealt with, right? Accounted for in this sense. It means that the sins are paid for. And so the danger is dying without your sins having been paid for by the blood of Christ. That's the danger. That's the warning that Jesus is giving here. As people of the Bible, as good historic Baptists, we believe in a definite atonement. And that means that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment of the sins of his people. His sacrifice is definite. He atones for all the sins of his people. They're covered over. They're paid for. They are cast to the depths of the sea once and for all. And so thankfully, we don't live in a world with Hamlet's theology. Thankfully, even if we are thinking a bad thought when we die, if we are Christ and we've been saved by his grace, our sins are completely 100% atoned for. Now, that doesn't mean we live like whatever we want to live like, but it means that we can have confidence in his grace and knowing that he has paid for our sins. But here's the thing, that atonement is for those who believe in Christ. It's limited in that sense. Jesus' work on the cross is atoning work. He made atonement for those who believe in him. Those who are saved by his grace. Those who are not saved by his grace, by placing faith in him. Those who don't do that, they have to pay the price for their own sins. And when they physically die, they will appear before the holy God of the universe, who, as we talked about last week, sees all and knows all that we do and have done, and he will judge them for their sins, and they will rightfully pay the price for eternity. That's the warning. You're either covered by the blood of Christ or you're not. And it comes down to what we believe. Jesus told them this. He says, you cannot come. Not that you might not, but you cannot. If you're still in sin, you cannot come to heaven. God's holiness will not allow it. So hear me today, friends. If you are dead in your sins, you cannot go to heaven, not on your own. You must be born again by the grace of God. Place your faith in Him. But Jesus also here through His teaching and through this text reveals what it looks like to be dead in sin. Because as he presents them with this truth, this gospel truth, we see that they respond exactly how we can expect those dead in sin to respond. They're mockers. What do the Pharisees say? Oh, is he going to kill himself? 
That's the response. Is he going to kill himself? That's the only way, right? Now, we miss some of the nuance of what is being said sometimes because of our context, but in the Jewish world, suicide equaled hell 100%. So they're mocking him. Jesus said, I'm going away somewhere that you can't come. And they say, oh, are you going to kill yourself? Are you going to hell? There's no way we can go there. They're once again being snarky and sarcastic, not realizing what they say. And Jesus' response reveals this. He says, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus tells them, he says, you people are worldly. You are mockers from below, and I am not. Friends, if we are believers, we are called not to be of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. Our true citizenship is not here, but it's in heaven. We don't live like the people of the world. Rather, we follow Christ. But what Jesus told them is is still equally as true for us, you and me here today. Unless we believe, we will die in our sins and we will stand condemned and guilty before God and we will pay the price. This is the warning. That's it. None of you today can say that you didn't know. None of you have an excuse. This is our warning. But thankfully, Jesus did not end the conversation there. That's the reality of sin, the reality of its consequences. But secondly, this morning, Jesus shows us the way to life. Right? We have the warning to the dead in sin, but he also tells them of the way to life. Beginning there at the end of verse 24. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Not only warns them, but he gives them the answer to the way to life. And we know famously in John 14, 6, Jesus proclaims that he is the way. And that statement is seen here in the end of John 8, 24. For unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. You catch what Jesus is saying. He says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. This is where reading is very careful for us. We need to be very careful about our reading. The he in that text was added back in the early English translations to try to help readers understand, which is why it's in italics. But I think it probably hurts the understanding for us. We should read this verse, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. This is a callback. Right? right back to Exodus 3 that we read to start our service this morning. Right, God told Moses that his name was what? I am. This was his name forever to the generations. And this language is also used in Isaiah 43.10 to point to the coming Messiah. Isaiah 43.10, it says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Jesus here is telling them exactly who he is and what they must believe. He's equating himself with I am. 
the Father. He tells them he is one with the Father. He is the Son of God. He is I am. And unless they believe that he is the Son of God, eternal, always existed, one with God, truly God, they will die in their sins. So we believe that Jesus Christ is God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the Messiah. He is the one through whom all must be saved. Jesus says, I'm one with the Father. I'm the same God who created everything that was created, that led your fathers out of Egypt. And this usage of the phrase, when he says that, that name, I am, would have been so painfully obvious to the Pharisees. But again, instead of repenting and believing in him and humbling themselves, their sin rears its head and they once more mock him. Who are you? Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And they say, who are you? Again, the, the snarky, sarcastic questions have just, have, they keep coming up. Three times in six verses have they asked a question like this. Back in verse 19, they said, where is your father? We talked about how that was an attack on, on uh, him, saying he was an illegitimate child. Verse 22, they talked about will he kill himself. And here in verse 25, they ask, who are you? Right? The, the tone is, who are you anyway? And Jesus answers, he says, the same thing I've been telling you from the beginning. Again, this is even more than just what has been said here. The whole Gospel of John has seen Jesus telling them repeatedly who he is. Right? For us, we're going, man, you guys should take a hint. Over and over and over the Gospel of John, we've seen Jesus tell them who he is. But it goes even beyond that to the entire body, the entire body of Scripture, the Bible. As one with the Father, as eternal, Jesus was right there in the midst of the Old Testament as well. From the beginning, God has been revealing his plan to send Christ, and God told them what to look for. And now that all of it is happening, the Pharisees are too sinful and prideful to see it. And Jesus continues, he says, I have much to say about you and much to judge. Now that alone probably be concerning for me. Jesus says, I have much to say about you and much to judge. It's probably a, a little bit of a concerning statement. But he, he goes on specifically after last week looking at the judge uh, statement of who he is as a righteous judge. But he says, he who sent me is true and I tell you what he tells me to tell you. The Bible says they didn't realize that he was speaking to them about the Father. Jesus was making it clear. John sees it. Hopefully we see it and believe it. But friends, the only hope we have, the only way we can live is by believing in the Son of God. Believing in Jesus Christ. We would put all of our faith and trust in him and him alone. We must follow him as Lord of all recognizing that he is the same who led them through the wilderness. And just as their only hope was to follow him then, our only hope is to follow him now. It's by grace. We can't earn heaven. We cannot get there on our own. We cannot believe in anything else. Jesus not only here tells us what to do to believe, but he also tells us how we are to believe, to believe that he is I am. He's very very narrowly telling us what we have to believe. 
As God, he's perfect. So many times we want to believe something, we want to believe what the Bible tells us about Jesus and God, like plus something else. Or we'll believe most of what the Bible says, but we're going to take a few parts out. That's not good enough. Say, well, God is so perfectly loving. He loves everybody. Yes, God is perfect. Yes, he is loving, but he's also holy. This holiness, again, tells us that someone has to pay the price for our sins, either us for eternity or Christ by his grace. There are other people who say, oh, you know, Jesus was a really smart guy. He was full of wisdom, and like, I'm going to apply that teaching, but, you know, I don't know that he's fully God. You're still dead in your sin. He's told us we not only have to believe in him, but we have to believe in him as the God of the Bible. I am. The same from the beginning to the end. Finally here, Jesus tells us of the will of the Father. He shows us the warning, which is essentially, do not die in your sin. He shows us the way not to die in our sin, which is to believe in him But he shows us that this is the will of the Father. Jesus has already gotten into this a little bit here in verse 26 because he tells them what? I'm telling you what the Father tells me to. He's not spitting out just a bunch of stuff that came to him. Like He's not a, this really smart guy who's just throwing out things that come into his mind. But rather, he's telling them what the Father tells him to. He follows God's plan and God's will, which are one and the same. We see that he says again that this is from the beginning. And he connects it with what we see here in verse 28. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Christ is doing what God has called him to do, specifically, right? We see this in the garden. It's the most profound example where he says, not my will, but yours. But Jesus connects it here. He's basically saying, once I go to the cross, it will make sense. Again, Jesus has connected this to the beginning. The Father's been working this plan since before the foundation of the world. He's been accomplishing it throughout this gospel. How many times in the gospel of John have we read that it was not yet his hour? How many times? A boatload of them, right? A bunch. We've read this countlessly. So many times, that's the end of our text. It wasn't his time, so no one laid a hand on him. God has been ordaining all these things and guiding his son to do his will. And ultimately, the whole purpose and the whole point was that he was going to the cross to pay for our sins. Jesus says, when you've lifted me up, then you will understand that I am and that I do nothing on my own authority but by the Father's. He's with me. He hasn't left me alone. I do the things that are pleasing to him. I fulfill the entirety of the law where you could not. Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, then you'll see these things. 
Jesus was pointing to God's hand in all of it. Again, this is not something that is, should be new material for them. At the cross, Jesus was lifted up at the good pleasure of God. Jesus does God's will to redeem his people. Isaiah 53 gives us this so clearly. So I want to read Isaiah 53 to you. It's 12 verses, but just listen carefully. Specifically listen to how many times we hear that this is God's plan and that he's happy with it. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. How many times here do we see that this is the will of the Father, that it's the Father doing the action? That it's his plan and that ultimately it's his good pleasure we see in Isaiah 53.10. This is the plan. This is it. This is, this is God saving us and he's happy in it. We see here how the Father sent him and initiated this whole thing to save us from our sin. And we've seen it from the beginning of this gospel. Back in the beginning of John 1, we see in the beginning it was him who created us. We see that God sends his son. We read here of how it will happen and we'll see in the future how he accomplishes this very thing. This is the summary. Be warned, we cannot enter heaven while we are dead in sin. Our sins must be atoned for, either by us through eternal punishment or by Christ's blood, by grace through faith. We must believe that he is the perfect son of God sent by God. It was not of us, but all of him and his grace that we are saved. This is the message. And as we wrap up here this morning, I want you to see that when Jesus gave this message, the Bible says in verse 30 that many believed many believed now jesus will follow up this message with what we'll see next week he says okay you believe here is what true belief looks like 
This is what a true believer looks like. But for now, the Bible tells us many believe. And so the question for us today is, do you? Do you believe in Christ as he has been presented today in Scripture? Not Christ as he's been presented over the years by whatever kind of pop culture thing or whatever false idea you want to throw at you, but do you believe in the Christ presented by Scripture? If not, I urge you to believe in him, to follow him, to throw yourself upon his mercy. As we have this time of reflection and response in a few moments, may we follow him in his will that we might live and glorify him. But if we're a believer today, again, going back to what we talked about last week, not only are we to know who he is in his fullness, not only should we study the scriptures to make sure that we know the faithfulness and goodness of our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, but we should also pass that warning on to those around us. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for making atonement for our sins, that we don't have to pay that price. Lord, we pray today that in this room you would just give us clarity, you would give us wisdom. Lord, you would work your will in our life. Father, show us exactly what you want us to do and help us to be faithful to do it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.